Hey, my name's Alex Hamo, and welcome to Alex Listens, a podcast about philosophy, politics, race, and mental health. Today, I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Egyptian-Australian producer, writer, and musician Mokhtar. Mokhtar was raised in the south of Sydney, in Cronulla, and recently moved to Melbourne. This year's been a pretty big year for Mokhtar. After nearly having dropped his career in music, he decided to release an eponymous project, The Mokhtar Project, under which he has released an EP, which is called Silk. Silk is a richly diverse EP that covers a number of themes, from what it's like being an Egyptian-Australian, what it's like being an Arab, and also what it's like connecting with one's roots. And if you know anything about me, or if you've listened to my podcast before, you'll know that the experience of being an Arab in Australia is my own. This is something that's very important to me, and so it was very special for me to be able to have spoken to Mokhtar about his own experience growing up as an Arab in Cronulla, and obviously Cronulla has a very delicate and important spot in Australia's history with the riots back in the early 2000s. So Mokhtar and I had a very wide-ranging conversation. We spoke about personal identity, we spoke about history, we spoke about being an Arab and what that feels like, we spoke about suppressing our identity, which is something both of us did when we were younger. We spoke about what it's like growing into oneself, and obviously we spoke about Mokhtar's music, how it came about, how he got back in touch with his Egyptian roots and connected with the Middle Eastern sound, which now is a huge part of his musical identity. I think it's a really wonderful conversation. I'm sure you'll love it. Before we get to the interview, a few quick things to mention. Firstly, if you're enjoying Alex Listens or any of the other work I do, please consider supporting it. I don't run any ads on this podcast or in any of the other work I do. It's all free to consume. And that means that I rely on you, the listeners, the consumers, to help me afford to keep running this podcast. So if you've got a spare few dollars, why not support me on Patreon? It's very easy, takes a few seconds, and it'll be immensely helpful for me to keep running this podcast. There's also PayPal, and the links for both of these things are in the bio for the episode. Also, follow me on social media. I'm on Instagram, at AlexListens. I'm very active on there, and also on TikTok. I've been (laughs) posting some things on there as well. Finally, and last but not least, I'm running a beginner's philosophy course. So if you're interested in learning about philosophy, please click the link in my bio to find out more. It will start in the middle of December and run for six weeks. It's pay what you can afford online, this kind of thing. More details in the bio. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the interview. Thanks for being here. How would you, for someone who doesn't know who you are, how would you introduce yourself? What's important for listeners to know? Um, I, I would probably start off with, um, I'm just this Egyptian guy from Cronulla um, who has just recently moved to Melbourne and makes music. That's how, that's all I would probably say. That's all you'd say. Okay. Um and so that's that's a good starting point. So an Egyptian guy from Cronulla. So tell me tell me a bit about that. So your both your parents Egyptian? Did they migrate to Australia together or what? Yeah. Um, my parents um, met um, in nineteen ninety around that time. Got married after two weeks. My mom was quite young when she had my sister. Um, and just as they had me, at six months, uh, we came to Australia in 94 or 93, around that time. And yeah, we've been here ever since. And we've had family here before um, from the 70s, but they were quite distant family um, that we didn't really um, know that well. But we were closer to uh, a lot of their relatives in Egypt mm. at the time. True, so you were born in Egypt? Yeah. Sick. Which part? Um, I was born in Cairo. My dad's from the country. Mum grew up in Cairo, but she has, um, she had been traveling quite a bit when she was young um, for her, like her dad, who's Spanish, Turkish. um, uh, Yeah, used to work a lot in Egypt and stayed in Egypt, but 
she grew up in Spain for quite a bit before coming back to Egypt at the age of 15, I'd say. Mm. Yeah. Whoa. And have you, like, in since, have you spent much time in Egypt? Like, do you, would you go back as a family? And Yeah. Mum goes back uh, yearly. And dad has recently gone back in the last couple of years because he's also a musician. Um, he's a conductor for a lot of orchestras over there. Uh, so he's quite busy um, for like a couple of months of the year. He would spend time in Egypt and come back to Australia for the rest of the time. Hmm. Yeah. Sick. And what about you? I The last time I was in Egypt was just before COVID hit. So about two years now. And yeah, I, I mean, I used to go quite yearly when I was younger in high school, but as I got a bit older, it started to become a bit more of a gap between each trip. But um, yeah, I would say the last trip I went to was probably the best trip I'd been, um, even though I've been to Egypt at least six times. Hmm. Do you speak Arabic? I do, but it's really broken. But I find myself getting better each time and people start to like not question my accent anymore. Oh. So I get a bit better, which is a good sign. Oh, I'm so jealous. My my dad's Algerian. Um, he was born there, lived there until his mid-20s and then moved to France. And my parents met there. I was born in France and they, like my dad migrated here when I was also like six months old. My mum's family had moved in the 60s from Macedonia. Um, but my dad, like, tried with all his might to distance me from the Arab world. So he never taught me Arabic, didn't give me an Arabic name. Um, and yeah, like, I had never met until 2017. I had never met any of his family members. So like, yeah, I have a lot of grief and emotion tied up in the Arabic language as this thing that is like, you know, deeply tied into my identity, but something that I like haven't yeah. accessed properly. I, I have, I've met a few people um, who had like a quite similar upbringing who like, yeah, usually it's always one of the parents just don't want anything to do with it. Um, I wonder if that's like a cultural thing with coming into Australia and trying to fit in or, you know, it's just the past is the past name trying to write a new one. Mm. But, um, yeah, I've met a few people like that. It's interesting. Mm. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, it's also like, it's, it's sad because I wonder, like, imagine I can't, I guess like, you know, both of us were raised here and like, you know, English is like our first language or maybe for you it was a combination of Arabic and English. But like imagine the experience of going somewhere new and leaving behind like <laughs> everything, like leaving behind your mother tongue, like, you know, totally trying to pick up a new culture or identity or something like this. It would be such like, yeah, I almost, I doubt whether if, like Arabs were more welcome in Australia. I doubt, I don't know whether my dad would have been so like extreme in his departure from his history. Yeah. Uh, I find like, um, I don't know, I would say back, back then, like no way, like it would have been the same as anyone who was from anywhere, you know, if they were Slavic or, you know, Indian or like middle, like, like it, it's just, I would say it would have been exactly the same because I know the treatment for even like a lot of the Italian first generations in the 60s and 70s were absolutely, you know, they, they had a really rough time. But now, like, you'd see, like, the huge shift that has been in the last, um, you, know, six, you know, 50 years and it's just like a lot of the second generation, um, you know, of, like, my friends of third generation Italian Greeks, like, it, they, they're more Australian um, than ever in that sense where um, I feel like a lot of, you know, the regions of like Middle Eastern people, it, it's only just starting to get to that point. You know, like it, we 
hasn't it hasn't been like it's been long enough but it hasn't been that long for a lot of people to catch up just yet mm. yeah that's that's a really that's a really important point like because i guess my mum's side the macedonian side that feels like a lot more of an established identity in australia because there's like you know a pretty big macedonian community they came in the 60s and like you know second third generation there have been like yeah a number of generations born and raised in australia but like you know it feels i guess like the arab world still feels like well the arab world is still subjected to like much harsher uh kind of like it's still like much more criticized like that you know islamophobia is still rampant like you know things were happening in afghanistan only a few months ago with the us like it still feels like such a delicate identity here so i guess a question like you said you were raised in cronulla and cronulla has a very important history in australia especially in recent times so what was it like growing up there as as an arab uh i would say that a lot of my experience with, was very suppressed so i didn't realize how bad it was until i really need to like unfold and think about it as i got older but i spent a lot of time trying to fit in and while trying to fit in i was really cautious about what i said what i did and i really had to separate everything that was arabic about me um in this world cuz you know it was such a strange time coming off the battle of like you know having 911 happen and just off 911 that's when things you know start to change you could see like a shift in like people's behavior towards arab and middle eastern people um and not just middle eastern people just anyone with the appearance of middle eastern and you know i took notice of that and it was a strange feeling because i noticed a lot of my teachers treating me differently but at the time i didn't realize i just would be like that's just normal um i know i'm different so i understand this is why i'm being treated like this which is like such a bizarre thing to accept but i didn't question it um you know i as i was growing up uh really going to surfing you know skating most of all my friends were white um and most of those friends i'm still friends with so i went to a K-12 school so we were you know quite a tight group but uh yeah of course like you know with all of that you're going to experience like you know bullying um a lot of like micro ra- racism as well from people who are like genuinely nice people but it's just you're still going to get the little things that will come out every now and then but my main experience from racism is just like not being accepted or giving it given a chance if just from teachers it could have been anything from like not being um accepted into like the school like soccer team even though I was playing reps like out of school you know it's it's the little things where I'm like oh wait like maybe I'm not good enough but I'm actually playing quite like a high grade soccer team out of school but I'm not going to go back and be like hey like what's the deal with that I was like okay shit maybe I'm actually not good enough so like I had a lot of things small things like that where I didn't really take notice um but also I had to be really careful what I what I would do because I it was very obvious I was the only Arab kid in school. So they took notice of anything I had done. So if I was naughty in one one way or another, that could like that's like a stamp against your name and none of that would just be let go like you know it's just like oh it's Mokhtar like he's done this 5 years ago. We should watch out for him for whatever he's going to do next or you know I think I could do the exact same thing compared to anyone else in school and not get the same grade. I remember in high school, I um what I had done was 
I swapped a project with one of my friends. Um, so we both had worked on, it was a woodwork class, so we were making like this little, like this small like little cabinet thing. Um, and sorry, we didn't swap, but we used the same um, project mm. to see what marks we would get. Like submitted the exact same the thing. The exact yeah. same thing. The teacher didn't even realize, like checking it out, measurements, oh yeah, it's looking good, blah, blah, blah. Um, I didn't get the same mark. <laughs> oh my God. And it was just, it was things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I only had done that not out of being like, oh, I need to know why. It's just like, no, I knew it was going to happen. And I thought it'd be funny to see what would happen. And that's just how also suppressing, <laughs> not really like making it a big deal because I'm like, yeah, this is so normal, right? Like, yeah, it's so casual. But, it, you know, when I think about it now, it's like, no, that's not, that's not okay. Like at all. Yeah. And like, I guess, yeah, I, it's really interesting to hear about your schooling experience because like, I think, uh, as you were describing that woodwork project, I remembered that I had literally the identical experience, like some English project in year seven or something, a friend and I, an Anglo friend and I literally submitted the same piece word for word. Like he got an A plus and I got a B plus and like, you know, marked by the same person. Yeah. Like, what's that about? Um, but yeah, like I, like as as a as a kid, having like people in like positions of authority, like a teacher, like isolating you and treating you differently is like just horrible. Like it is so. It's no surprise that like, you know, it's something that can quickly be it's something that you can quickly understand as being normal. Like, you know, that you're going to be treated differently, that like, you're not going to get the same grades that you're going to be excluded from things. Um, yeah. Wow. And like, it's, it would also be really hard to be in the same environment for like, how many years is that? Like 18 years around the same people. Like, I guess, yeah, I went to a different high school from my primary school. And I guess that in some ways felt like a new start. So that's really tough. But like what, as you got older, like, did you, did you begin to challenge like that idea of what was normal? Did you begin to realize that like, yeah, that what was normal was not necessarily good or fair? Yeah. I, I I definitely started to notice it when I didn't want to go to school. You know, a lot of people be like, yo, you bludgeon again. Or it's like, well, I just don't feel comfortable like coming into coming into like school and knowing like I'm just going to not get the right treatment or like I'm just going to have to work twice as hard. Um, a lot of the teachers were older, but also like I just went to school with like a whole bunch of like, you know, crappy people um, that kind of comes with it with any school. There's always going to be a few people. But um, where I grew up was like such a you know, everyone's got a boat, everyone's got a ute, everyone, you know, every second person, like, has, like, an Australian flag out the front of their house, um, you know, someone cross tattoos, um, there's a lot of, you know, that type of mentality of, like, you know, the culture around NRL and getting really drunk or, like, you know, being abusive or, like, it's just a lot of that came with that area and, not everyone was like that and i know right now most of the people um have changed but it's just still part of that culture where i especially during that time it it was quite scary like you you had to be quite careful um you know going to the pub is just one of those things where like you knew there was going to be a fight was going to break out like it, it was very common for that to happen so you know i tried to like always be on my guard if I ever did go to the pub because anything could happen at any moment and I'm like a huge target as well but you know I I learned to deflect a lot of a lot of that and I learned how to like talk to people and I could have just been you know getting getting really along with someone who was like super racist and like not calling them out on it but being able to speak to them in, in, in a way that like I'm not here to 
target you or whatever. We'll just, I'm just going to bounce around whatever you're saying. And I think, you know, I started to notice a, a shift in like, you know, how people would start to talk to me. Um, they might say, oh, like you wanted the good ones. And I, I wouldn't take that as, you know, an insult because I know that that genuinely that's going to be the closest to the nicest thing to what they mean. So I wouldn't take that as an attack and be like, oh my God, like you're canceled, blah, 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 like blah, blah, blah. I'd be like, yeah, sick, like, thanks, like whatever. Because that's just like one step. And if that's the only way I, I can kind of get someone to like slowly have a change of thought, like might as well, even though it's like a bit of energy come from me and I don't need to do that. I I've grew up in that area. Like I know what it's like. I know how things are about. And like, there's, you, you just, you can't go in at it, like attacking or like, how dare you? Like it's just, it doesn't work. Like it, it makes it worse, but you know, I've noticed a lot of people like have changed anyway, but back then it's completely different. It's, you know, I, I used to use words like oh like that's gay or like whatever like when i was a kid and you slowly start to realize like later on it's like yeah that's really not okay you know but i you know i think now it's still a lot of that is still present but people are scared to come out about the truth or like how they feel because now it's like this then now it's like things are slightly shifted you know a little bit Mm. especially in creative creative scenes i feel like like yeah you know i grew up in carlton north which is like you know a kind of quiet middle class area um i imagine it would have been a very different place to grow up compared to cronulla um and like i personally didn't i don't think i received any kind of direct like you know like aggressive racism or physical stuff but like i certainly got a lot of like you know being fetishized and like people like thinking that i'm from like another country and being like where did you learn english like you know this kind of micro like constant microaggression stuff um but i'm like i'm really like i'm really interested in that last thing you said about how like you know the culture has changed around what it is okay for people to say, especially like in the part of town where we live in like Brunswick, you know, Carlton, Fitzroy, um, you know, this is supposed to be like, you know, the kind of progressive capital of Australia. But I wonder, I wonder how much of what, of the way that people talk is like what they authentically believe and how much is like trying to fit in and kind of, pushing aside like or trying to like quieten down some like internal racist monologue that's still there um how do you how do you feel about that do you think that like like how much do you feel things have changed for you as you've moved from like Cronulla to Sydney from Sydney to to Melbourne yeah it's it's been like a huge rapid change in the last couple of years I I feel I feel that like it's okay like it's kind of cool to to not be you know it's cool to be different like that's like all of a sudden it that's all it is like it's just like one day it's just like now it's like cool to be different but I I wouldn't say it's a bad thing it's just like yeah part of the change but you know I my own experience I I needed to not be Arabic like I pushed all of that away because my my experiences but is like you know I have trauma from from it you know like I had to like put photos on my resume or because I wouldn't get a job like I wouldn't get a call back or whatever or like you know I had to change my name to mock instead of mokta you know like it's just the little things like that that i had to work around but now like i'm not going to do that you know and i i don't know like i think yeah is that kind of is that kind of answer the question yeah. a bit yeah. yeah it does yeah and like 
what like I guess what what prompted that change for you was it like the geographical changes or was it like something in you that was like you know fuck I'm sick like you know like you know for me for example it was only when I was like 21 that I realized that I wasn't white like until then I was like you know so caught up in like thinking that like I was just like all the Anglo kids and one day I was like this actually isn't who I am and from then I guess I've since then I've tried to like you know, not, not like push aside, like this, this Arab side of me. Um, so yeah, like what, what do you think it, what prompted this change in you? Was it like related to your music? Was it geographic stuff? What? Yeah, I, I, it's definitely music's a big part of it. I would say just getting used to the idea of like who I actually am and accepting it and finding myself actually liking it. Um, cause I've always tried to fit in for so long for most of my life. I've always tried to fit in around people, whether it's just, you know, getting involved in like certain things or dressing a certain way, whatever I I've always wanted to be liked. And like that stemmed, you know, from like actually quite getting quite exhausting after a while. And it's just, like, not until, like, the last couple of years where I'm, like, I've let that go. And, like, I've noticed, like, a huge shift in, like, my life. Um, You know, I'm paying more attention to, like, myself and not worrying so much about, like, what people are going to think of me. But also just realizing people actually love it and they accept it and people are supportive, which is great because it's such a bit of, like, a... um, and it's quite annoying now to think about that. I could have done this a little bit earlier, but you know, I, times have changed and I feel more comfortable about being myself. Hmm. So that's important. Hmm. And what, because you moved from Sydney to Melbourne recently was part of that, like this journey, like trying to be more yourself. Like what, what caused you to move from Sydney to Melbourne? I would say that like it has a yeah a bit of a bit like a, a bit of a reason why it's also you know a bit it's more of like a life experience of just going to a different state but also catching this momentum of like I feel good I'm just going to chase whatever this is even if it's like a placebo I don't know um and it's helped a lot with music for me getting getting quite inspired in Melbourne and I, I find that I work best when I'm away from a lot of things where I, I need to focus on, uh, you know, things step at a, like one step at a time. And Melbourne seems like the, like a great city for that. And I've always wanted to live here anyway. Like when, when I was going back to, um, going back to what I was saying before about like not going to school, there were times when I literally wouldn't go to school and actually catch a flight to Melbourne. And I would tell my mum I'm going to stay at my friend Josh's on a leave on Friday, stay at Josh's for the weekend. But I would go to Melbourne and I made friends with this guy, um, James Kane, who's a really good friend of mine still. Um, And yeah, we used to gig like around Melbourne. I was underage. And that's like where my love for music started to really push. And I'm like, oh, I love this. Like, and we were in like a noise rock band and we used to play all over like the north side and we would i would just rock up really early for sound check and just never leave the pub because wow. i didn't want to have to deal with like security or i'd get a stamp while i'm in there and yeah i don't know how i got away with that but um wow i'd come back on sunday as if nothing ever happened and then go to school on Mondays. <laughs> yeah. That's unreal. Yeah. Wow. What were you like 16, 17 doing that? Yeah. Around that time. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Shit. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> that's actually amazing. I can't, I like, yeah, I was, I was like a really young, I matured pretty late. And so I can't like, I don't even think that would have been possible for me like to, to have done something that like big, at such a young age so true you've been you've been making music for what like a, over a decade now yeah whoa yeah. 
And you said that you were in some kind of rock. Yeah, so started off noise rock band. Um, we played a lot here, uh, and we wouldn't have time to do rehearsals. Like we, like our rehearsals were the playing gigs. live. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we got away with it because, like, I don't know. I think at that time we like we kind of got the idea of like how to jam and just learn not to look at each other like in a weird way like just because you don't want to get off that give off that energy of like not knowing what you're doing but just being like okay this is i guess this is happening now and just going with it and yeah that was like that was part of like you know my musical journey i'm starting off with a lot of that rock because i grew up like again like avoiding arabic and avoiding hip-hop and electronic music i don't know what had happened but there was just like this one year where all of that came started to come together um i think it's because i was a skater as well so a lot of skaters didn't listen to a lot of like dance music i didn't know i don't know if you ever noticed that but when i was younger like the dance music was like not a go if you were a skater True. for some reason what would they listen to just like rock like david bowie like joe division <laughs> um anything punk you know um mm kind of always lead it towards that way but uh yeah eventually i got really into electronic music and started making more chilled out melodic things and more instrumental beats and that led to like me getting into like a lot of hip-hop and then like writing of hip-hop as well and like the rest is history but um yeah i still hated anything arabic still during mm. that time oh and when did you because you said your dad is a conductor mm. um like would did were you able to sample like his stuff for you no i wouldn't want to whoa that's like how far away i was mm. from anything arabic i didn't want anything to do with it and my dad is like an amazing um user uh he he's worked with so many like great um uh like you know middle eastern uh, artist just like one of the greats and he's written a lot of really cool things and scored a lot of like films wow. he's like traveled a lot in, around the middle east but um i had that you know like i could have used that to my advantage but i never wanted to like so my relationship with my dad was always a bit awkward when it came to that because we were the only users in the house but we didn't have anything in common in that way Wow, so it sounds like you must have undergone a pretty, like, monumental change in your, like, your personal and musical identity going from, like, rock, punk to now, like, something like Silk, which is, like, yeah, a very, like, is very clearly influenced by Middle Eastern sound. So what, like, talk to me about that, about that transition. Talk to me about what, what happened with Silk and why that's so different from other things that you're working on um i guess you know working towards like that sound like you know i i've always really loved that side of electronic music with um being able to blend things i have always wanted to challenge myself with infusing a lot of things as well um just anything that kind of seems like the opposite um and like trying to just like fit it in somehow so Silk was definitely, you know, the first track on, off the EP that I started to write for the project without realizing it was going to be the project. And when yeah, you say the project, you mean like my Mokta okay. project? Yeah. I, when I wrote it, I didn't think about the project. I, I was just writing music, but I, I did have the mode of wanting something Arabic and I didn't want it to be too Arabic, but I wanted to use a couple of elements to, to throw in there so I, I you know the easiest way from I found out was like well I gotta use like the percussions you know uh, and not use like too much like Middle Eastern scales which I haven't really done just yet as well but I'm like kind of working towards that but uh, 
I kind of found like this little pocket of being like, okay, cool. Like I can sample like a lot of, you know, Middle Eastern styling of uh, percussions and like that groove. And I noticed that started to sound cool. I really liked it. Um, and I was still able to use like my musical background into like using a lot of like melodies and interwining like a lot of like pads and, you know, throwing in some vocal samples and like it started to sound cool. And I also just love Timberland and his production. So I don't know if anyone like knows Timberland knows that he's also just like his style of production. He, he it's also quite simple, but the way he uses a percussion. So like any of his like little like synth lines, like in Missy Elliott tracks, like I find that like so inspiring. So like I, I'm, I would like to use more of that style of approach of when I do produce and like the rest just follows. Hmm. Whoa. And like, where do you where do you source your stuff? Like, cause yeah, like the like on the Silk album on the Silk song itself, like the percussion is unreal. Like, did you generate that yourself or like just bits and bobs? Like, I I sample like maybe a little bit too much. Like, I may overdo it sometimes, but it could be anything. I could listen to anything on YouTube. It could be like a live footage of like some guy playing at a wedding or. You know, uh, I I just got into splice, but I don't like to use that too much. Um, but it is perfect for like one hit samples or just like loops. Um, I enjoy like going in there and cutting it up, maybe changing the rhythm up, and because with Arabic, uh, like the beats, like it's a certain way. So if I wanted to kind of change it into like more of like a UKG like style, like then I'm gonna have to like change the pattern quite a bit. Um, or just simplify it because like it like I've tried like I've tried so hard to like make it as Arabic as possible um, into dance music and the only way it really works if you just put a straight beat on and that and it just sounds like you're at like a Mykonos like (laughs) I don't know like it's just there's just a certain way like you, you gotta approach it you could go down that way if you really wanted to but um yeah, I, you know, sampling is a huge part of, like, my my methods, yeah, mm. formula of how to, like, get everything, like, together. Mm. Yeah, and you said something really interesting before, which was that, like, you know, um, your, the way you produce is, like, getting a bunch of different things and, like, trying to see how they can all fit together. And I feel like two, two songs, I listened to your EP so many times, um, like silk and cotton really feel like like there is there are like very clear it almost feels like in each song is like four different songs especially cotton i feel like towards the end of that song it like there's a a gigantic shift so like talk to me about that what's like what what's driving you to like what's driving you to resist having like a kind of clear simple like melody to follow throughout the whole thing I think like, you know, with cotton, I wanted to create something that didn't have to stick to like a A to B, you know, a style where like, no, this is when a drop should happen or like, this is when, you know, a certain structure of what a track should be. I wanted to throw all of that away and just be like, I'm just going to create anything that makes sense um, to your ears. Like you're kind of following this experience and yeah the track has like four like no three different like key chains that's why it sounds like there is about like four tracks in one because when i wrote um cotton yeah i wrote like different sections or just like kind of like just playing around but i i noticed that like you know i really wanted to infuse them and just wanted to have this track where it like spoke for me and not being able to like you know put lyrics down because uh, i can't sing i i can't do that for shit so i can't I'm, I'm not really good at writing as well like songwriting so this was like my way of being like well this is my interpretation of like this is what i want it to be it doesn't need to like stick to a, a formula of like how to approach like what a song should sound like but 
It's more about the experience. And I wanted people to listen to it and interpret it in their own way. Mm. I wanted, you know, people to, you know, start thinking about like whatever, like experience, whatever happened in their life, or maybe it's like good or bad, but I wanted to blend in something that kind of had two things like, you know, coming at two emotions really. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think you have done, I think you have done that. It does feel like, you know, it is open to interpretation, like very much. So it feels like, you know, a really complex, really complex song that doesn't have like simple things for you to kind of like grasp onto and latch onto, which is like, yeah, that's why I like it so much. Um, and like, so you said that like the Mokhtar project, this is something new, like started this year, I imagine. Um, or you, you started releasing music under this name this year. Um, and you started with Silk. So I'd like to talk about that a bit because that almost feels like, Silk almost feels like a story. The song feels like a story. So what, like, what is, what is Silk about? Um, I can stop saying, um, before I speak. Cause every time I say it, I say it, I always hear like my teacher being like, don't start your conversations with um. Um, so it's like triggered, but I really, I really kind of like it. There's everything has a meaning, you know, uh, metaphors behind it and the vocal chops, which is, I'm pretty sure it's like, uh, it's a chop from like a Wu-Tang acapella um but you won't really notice it that much because it's just been like completely warped and like detuned and whatnot but again like going back to like i can't sing so i needed to use something to uh to to be like you know uh-huh uh-huh motherfucker like something to kind of approach like this confidence in me and also using silk um as the title because I wanted to have this metaphor of like being able to feel elegant, you know, because silk feels quite nice against your skin and like being able to like free, like to move quite freely around, um, you, you feel good and it's just so easy to move around as well. So using that metaphor of being able to move around freely is how I feel today. And like I've mentioned this a couple of times, um, to a few people and I wanted to kind of make it like make sense as well um through my experience for people to understand because like you know today I feel great with where I come from and who I am um so I also wanted to work towards when I was writing the video and the ideas I I wanted someone to be able to like move around um in silk to use that as an example for people to also visually understand mm. where I was coming from. Hmm. Well, and like the video, the video is unreal. Where, where was it filmed? Uh, so most of Sydney, but when it kind of gets into like the scenes when they're in the desert, it's mm. actually Cronulla. Really? Yeah. Wow. So that was an important part of me because yeah, it's ironic that like the most Middle Eastern part of the video is in Granada, <laughs> but the rest is you know around the inner west, like under under a bridge. A few people think it's like like is that the Westgate Bridge? And I'm like, no, it's just in Sydney. But yeah, I I you know I still want to use a lot of like those type of areas, like where I grew up. Mm -hmm. um, it is quite important to me, as much as. You know, I may have had a very negative experience in the shy. It's still one of the best times of my life. Mm. You know, I wouldn't trade it for anything. And it's a big part of me as well. Mm. Yeah. And like how you said that now you feel like very free and very comfortable in yourself. Um, and like it, it. It's also very clear that like people are really loving your music and celebrating your music. Um, and I know that like a year ago or maybe even earlier this year, you, you weren't like you nearly gave up this musical career. So like what, what happened? 
it just kind of gets to the point where you, you're moving, you know, you're putting everything up, you know, in like all you can and you seem to not be moving. If anything, maybe like taking steps back. And I, yeah, I had like a couple of like shitty experiences, like, of, you know, my, like working in the music industry. Cause like before, like I started this project, like I was still working heavily in the music industry as a writer. Um, you know, and I, I, I enjoyed that. Like it was great, but it, it just kind of started to feel like, you know, I don't know if I'm getting anything out of this at this point, like, I don't understand, like, why something I love doing is starting to feel quite negative. And yeah, I, I was going through a shift when, when COVID happened, like it was scary because I had to think about my future and it seemed like the future was very dark for a lot of creatives during that time. So yeah, I, I had to like jump on something quick just in case. And I thought it was best to work with my cousin in construction as a safety officer. So I had to learn how to do all of that. Um, and it was strange, like, cause it was such a big shift in, in what I was doing before. And all, all of a sudden I'm working at a work site with a whole bunch of people. Um, telling them, you know, to put the helmet on and like inducting people. Uh, yeah, it was just so bizarre. And I'm like, well, at least I know I'm going to be financially okay. And my future is not going to be so horrible, but it may not be what I imagined. But, you know, it kind of felt like, you know, that old guy who's still trying to be a rock star. And I didn't want to be that. I'd rather be like, well, you know, I accepted like my, like everything. Like I had a realization, you know what? Like I'm actually happy about everything I've achieved and it was great. Like I had like, you know, amazing time. So that's, I think I, I like, you know, giving up also made me chill out when it came to like doing music um, for Mokta. Cause I wasn't overthinking it anymore. Cause I've like, I literally had given up and it didn't matter like what I had made. Like I'm not there to like impress people anymore. It was just like, well, this is what I'm just going to do this. I don't care what people think. And I'm, I'm, I don't want to like go for a label. Or, like I, I was just at that point of my life. Um, and yeah, that I would say that was probably the biggest kick Whoa. that really jump started everything because I realized being as honest and real as possible, actually, as cheesy as that sounds, actually kind of works mm. um, when you're in that vulnerable state. Mm. And what's it been like, you know, having this project really, like, you know, be, uh, like, you know, kind of get traction all around the world? Like, I saw on your story recently that, like, Bonobo, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, shared your, like, that's, it's yeah no it's been crazy um yeah i look up to bonobo and like he you know it, he was the first uh electronic album I ever bought on vinyl wow well. so for that to happen was just like okay this is getting weird you know and it started to like keep going like you know i had like fortet share like um silk on his playlist and jamie xx like replying to uh, about silk as well so i was like wow. okay so it's it's starting to become real where um like these people i look up to us i uh noticing it so that's when things were like okay i gotta keep doing what i'm doing but also like not overthink it just be vulnerable again <laughs> like when i was working at that construction site but yeah i, I it's hard to kind of catch up um, with it because you kind of imagine like in your head like what like how you would react when it happens like all these like real surreal moments like Bonobo like enjoying your track but like when it happened like I was really ha like I'm obviously I'm like stoked but I'm like I'm still trying to catch up 
with what's actually going on. Um, I don't know if it's ever going to hit me, and it might hit me when I'm like in a year or so. But like right now, I feel so caught up with the whole COVID thing. Uh, I'm not able to like really process anything just yet. So I guess when when it gets to the point where I'm like I'm actually playing and doing my own stuff and seeing like people like get amongst it, I think that's when things will probably become like more real. Mm. Yeah, because I mean that's like that's the dream of like probably most creative people for their like idols and in, and like the people who inspired them to discover their work. So that's like. Yeah, it's a pretty like mind-blowing thing for you to have experience. Like I imagine it is really confusing and is really hard to process. Um have has it been like has it been validating for you? Like has it made you feel like, you know, this is what this is the right thing for you to be doing at this point in your life? Yeah, for sure. It it is it does feel like a bit strange but i feel like i've matured quite a bit and i've worked up like a few years to this point where i am quite confident in what i do and i know what i want which is important um, i'm not going to question it like i'm just going to keep doing this and hope for the best at this point but um yeah it's only when i start to question myself and that's when things kind of get a bit weird and uh you know a bit wonky and it's not like the best feeling but i'm using like all of these releases as like inspiration to make me do like to want to do more because i think i'm getting what i'm getting the most out of it is reaction from people and i'm using that to really push um for more and just going to keep using that momentum until I will most likely get into uh, a writer's block uh, situation and not be able to write anything. I really hope that it doesn't hit me soon, but I know it will, which is going to be scary, but I'm just going to keep writing as much as possible until that point. Hmm. Sounds like a good plan. Yeah. Um, You said that, like, you know, having, having people, you know, respond to your stuff is very having people like engage with your work is very important for you like what what kinds of things have you heard from people like has anyone like because like for example one of the most rewarding things for me on this podcast is having people like reach out and be like hey that thing that you spoke about you know really helped me understand something that i'm going through or like and i felt that way when i listened to silk because i was like it was like a really emotional, it's probably weird to hear because it's your own music, but like it was a really emotional song. Like it does, I like, you know, I I don't listen to much Arabic music. I don't have like a very good level of literacy in terms of the Arabic sound, but I felt like this very deep connection with something. And I imagine like it is weird being on the receiving end, like making something and then have people be like, wow, this really like brought out something in me so what's that been like like having people love your stuff and like reach yeah. out and tell you things uh it's it's good like i i'm happy that it's happening um because it's what i was aiming for um i didn't want to just write anything with no purpose which i've used to do i've written so many tracks of just like didn't really have any meaning um so with Silk, yeah, I, I have, a you know, the people that would message me will, will be really honest about their experience, about how they've also had gone through a lot growing up. And to be able to have, like, Silk as a track for people to, you know, comfort them in such a traumatic time is quite, like, a... I never thought I would... Uh, have that type of role for someone but yeah I, it does mean a lot to me and i i think that's crazy mm. that it's happening mm. is it like like do you is that like uh, is this a motivation in making your music to like you know for example do you 
is part of the drive behind you making Arabic influenced music for you to understand more about your own identity and like for other Arabs to yeah. learn this? You know, I, I started off writing this for myself, you know, and going at it with like a bit of a narrative but as I've started to release more things start to they kind of blossom and they start to write more of a narrative um with itself you know yeah within itself like you know I feel like I've come to understand my music a little bit more as it's coming out uh, if that makes any sense um I think it's also just a lot of a lot of like you know there are new experiences each time you know uh with this project and it is starting to become it's starting to make more sense and and the reasons behind it but yeah it started off quite small and just for myself and now it's starting to become everyone's experience which is bizarre Mm. yeah it is really it must be really strange um and like what what do you so you just released the Silk EP, right? Yeah. And like, what, what are you working on currently? What's what's next? Are you doing a tour soon? Yeah, I've got a tour coming up, which is going to be fun. Haven't done a tour yet. I don't know what to expect, but I'm happy with like, um, everyone that's a part of it. And yeah, I still haven't really planned anything yet, to be honest. But I'm just gonna focus on writing as well while i'm touring um i want to work towards a new ep and like followed by an album but um yeah in between those like i I just want to keep like releasing music um in between like remixes and like edits for free um just to show show the more of the club fun side of the project and it doesn't also doesn't all need to be like really emotional and sad (laughs) Like I've got a fun side as well, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's a really hard thing. It's it's really hard when you when your like identity is tied up with the thing that you make, um, because yeah, like you know, it's not easy being an Arab. It's not easy talking about being an Arab, and it's hard to jump from talking about you know your own life to like doing something fun, trying to like do something lighthearted. I think I've really struggled with that as well. Um, and like what, yeah, like, I guess what is, what are your, what are your goals with like your, what do you hope mock the Mokhtar project to eventually become? Like, do you want it just to be like a musical thing or is it going to like be explored in other ways? No, I really want to, um, take it to, like, I just want it to be a creative project that doesn't necessarily need to be just music. You know, I would like to do, like, short films. Um, but also, I want to use this project, um, take advantage of, like, whatever's happening now and be able to take it back into the community as much as possible. Um, because it's quite important for me to push uh, Middle Eastern artists as well because there aren't many of us and you know there's the the only type of people are putting on their own things like who are middle eastern uh you know a few you know a few you have a few of the people here like there's an event this saturday coming up Ayua, um which is sick because like the whole lineup is middle eastern and there should be i feel like you know we're, we're still quite delayed with you know a lot of getting booked and you know a lot of that side into the club scene like i feel like you know that there could be more um happening um and it could be as easy as just being asked to do mixes you know for a couple of like you know little creative like labels uh, that are happening around melbourne and australia um it's still quite separate you know the the everyone's too um focused about their branding and like whatnot but i think what people aren't noticing or realizing that like their branding um, could also benefit from something quite different as well. But, you know, still there's a bit more time for that to to evolve. But, you know, I'm pretty happy with how things are in Melbourne because it, it is really great and things do move quickly. 
and there's a lot of things happening compared to Sydney, um, which is awesome. You know, this this is why I love this city. But um, yeah, it would be great to have a lot of that happen. You know, in Sydney, um, and if I can do something um, about that and approach more of an artistic, creative view of like doing a short film or just having like you know Middle Eastern dancers involved with like soundscapes or just anything creative um would be awesome Mm. it does sound yeah this this like platform you've made this project sounds like a really beautiful really beautiful combination of stuff so i think you should be proud if you're not already um yeah i think like maybe there's one last thing i wanted to ask um and this is like kind of cultural comparison question but I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on the difference, the differences between Melbourne and Sydney. Um, cause you said that like, it feels like there's more going on here. Things are moving very quickly in Melbourne. Um, but maybe things aren't happening at the same pace or, um, there isn't as much kind of diversity in kind of Sydney creative scene. So what, what are your thoughts about this? I think see, Melbourne's always just been quite artistic. Uh, compared to Sydney, Sydney is like very flashy and, you know, big, like, you know, where Melbourne is just like, we are, there's so many different pockets of uh, creatives doing their own thing. It's great to have the option, um, but not just like those options. It's just like, there's more of a community for people who are really into art or there's a community who are really into film, um, just anything. Um, but in Sydney, look, there are a few things like that, but you would have to probably go to uni to even like start a club for something like that. You're not going to just find something that's like, you know, like a young crowd or like, you know, like kind of like the cool kids, like doing something like it's quite hard to find that. And if you are doing that in Sydney, it's, it's gonna, it's quite hard to, for it to take off even. And like, I'm sure there are things happening in Sydney, but people are it's not just like people aren't not patient or anything but it's just people aren't gonna want to go and the people that do want to go is just not enough you know they'll probably move to melbourne (laughs) well yeah like yeah i feel i feel bad to be here to be honest because i i grew up in sydney and that's my that's my city but you know, I I don't plan to be in Melbourne forever. Like I would, um, like I do plan to go back to Sydney, and do as much as I can back there, mm. because there are people who are stuck, you know, in this limbo of like, well, who do I hang out with? Like, who there, there aren't? Where are my people? You know, like there's a lot of that, and it's funny because every time I run into an Egyptian person here, it's always like the same conversation. It's like, wow, like. Like, there's no, whoa, like, you know, it's just this, where, how did, why are you doing this? Like, how did you start? Or like, they, they, it's just, it, it just blows their mind that there's an Egyptian person doing something creative and, you know, they're also doing something creative, but it's so hard, like, to just meet somebody in that world because I can understand because, like, I met someone over the weekend uh, after Thank You Bob. And yeah, he, he was just like telling me the exact same thing. Like, and I was like, I could just tell like you, your parents are very strict as um, probably didn't let you do any of that. Probably weren't even allowed to go to like the school dance, you know, like I wasn't even allowed to. So it's just, yeah, it's the little things like that where it's hard to find our people. It is really hard. I, yeah, it's a very like, it's a very sad makes me feel very sad when I reflect on like who makes up the creative spaces um, and like who seems, which groups seem to be coming in more frequently. And yeah, like us like Middle Eastern, North African people are massively, massively underrepresented. Yeah. Um, even even like, even in, in Melbourne where things are like, you know, there is like, diversity in creative spaces so yeah like 
I don't know. Are you hopeful that things are changing? Are you hopeful that like, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I, I know they are. Like I, I can see the change. Um, it's just as easy as just having the, like Instagram now. Like you know, people are more connected. You know, you go to Europe, like that's already happening. You know, um, a lot of people from I, I know from Egypt that live in Europe are already doing things like that. But they also take it back to their homeland. You know, a lot of North African, like Moroccans and Algerians, like they're, they're all doing amazing stuff um, and also taking it to Europe and like taking it back home. So there's a lot of that happening, but it's just a little bit more delayed here. Mm-hmm. And I know it's it's getting to that point where it, it's getting bigger, but, you know, I think when it starts to... Um, change like we'll we'll definitely notice we'll notice it and it's getting there so i'm pretty hopeful about the future for a lot of north africans and middle eastern people Mm. and creatives Mm. yeah well thanks for thanks for doing what you do thanks for contributing to the space and representing middle easterners and north africans it's really it's really beautiful to watch likewise you're doing thanks, it too. <laughs> thank you man and thanks for chatting with me it's been, it's been really wonderful thanks for having me thanks for Watch me.